Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Welcome back, Around the Net Posters. I hope everyone's having a great weekend. I'm here, George Barfoot, with Jacob Andrus on a fine Sunday evening. Uh, thank you so much for your continued listenership. Uh, we, we couldn't have this podcast without you. Uh, leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, before we get started, uh, a thank you to 3030 Tennis as well. Uh, tennis's best and most effective shortened format where every game starts at 30 all instead of love all to provide shorter matches, more pressure points, and a more exciting way of playing tennis. For more information about that format, contact Mark Milne at 3030tennis.com or find them on their Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook pages. The link to their website will be in the podcast bio. So without further ado, tennis has a new Grand Slam champion, Yannick Sinner. Jacob, how, how's your week been, and uh, have you enjoyed the tennis this last this last week? Yeah, my week's been good, and the tennis, I would say, has been pretty fun to watch as well. I think uh, Yannick Sinner was the best player over the course of two weeks, so of course... I would say deserves the title in the end, but Daniil Medvedev gave him a run for his money, and I think we had uh, some surprising upsets along the way. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a really good uh, Grand Slam to start the year. If if all four of them are like that, it's going to be a really good year, I think. Yeah, I agree for sure. Because I mean, I think during the the final today they showed a stat. I think there was something like thirty four five set matches over the course of the. The two weeks, which tied the all-time record from 1983 or something like that, um, and also had, I mean, with Medvedev playing a bunch of those five-setters, I believe he had the longest time on court of any player ever in a Grand Slam. I believe it was over 24 hours, so quality of tennis, extremely high, and the number of hours that we got to see over the last two weeks, also extremely high. Yeah, no, it would be good to uh, get a little more sleep and, and not be watching tennis at weird hours in the morning, that's for sure. Yeah, I think we're in Montpellier this this coming week, which is well, I guess it's still six hours for us, but a little uh, a little better than uh, Australia. Yeah, a lot easier than uh, than getting up at three a.m. to watch the final. Yeah, no, how was that? Um, I tell the listener, was it you know not Djokovic, so I you know tradition was broken there, but but how was that compared to previous years? Getting up early and watching it. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. I was really interested to see how Sinner would play in his first final. Um, over the last couple of days, I'd been kind of asking people on my college tennis team who do they think would win the final, and I think I got a total of about twenty Yannick Sinners and one or two Medvedevs. And I I would have put myself in the Medvedev camp of I thought he was going to be able to win the match just because not anything based off of his performance during the tournament, but I thought that he would bring a little something extra. And he, he was able to do that for a couple sets, but over the the course of five sets, I think his, uh, his time on court kind of caught up with him and Sinner got through a lot of the nerves in those first two sets and just kind of loosened up and played better tennis, I think. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't surprising to me that it was a close final based on the previous results. And, and also I was in the Medvedev camp too, primarily based on the head-to-head record that Medvedev had against Sinner. But, yeah, they've all been close matches. In the end, you know, we'll come on to this a little later, that that Medvedev clearly has a little bit of a problem with going two sets up in slam finals. Mm -hmm. But what what a fight back. And 
after, you know, I looked through his road to the final, uh, Medvedev, you know, he was a set down against the, the French qualifier in the first round, uh, two sets down against the Finnish player, Rusevori. Uh, the, the only player he beat in straight sets was uh, Alger Aliassime, but every other match he had was was an absolute grind, a tussle. So it it wasn't surprising to me that he went he went five again in the final. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I was surprised that he went up two sets to love. Not as like it wasn't easy for him to do it, but I was more surprised at the the way he was playing. Like in the, in their past matchups, he's really been defensive, played the counter punching style he normally plays. But today, he was really standing inside the baseline, ripping everything and coming to the net a surprising amount. It was it was almost like watching. Novak Djokovic when he's playing well compared to the the standard Medvedev style of tennis, I think. Yeah, no, I think that when people talk about major final experience, I think maybe that is what they refer to in the large part is, you know, he Sinner doesn't know what to expect. So he comes out and he expects Medvedev to play the game that we all expect him to play, which is what we see week in, week out. But a credit to to him and his, his coaching staff that he comes out, plays a different brand of tennis completely takes Sinner out of, you know, off guard and he's up two sets to love. And I, I think it's important to note, as you know, I, this is just just my opinion. Um, but when he was 4-1 up, uh, he had a, a, he was he had a point to go 5-1 up, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was 5-1 up, right? I think he had, yeah, I think he was at 5-1. Yeah, so he gets 5-1, he gets broken. So rather than win the, win the set 6-1, it ends up being 6-3. I think that is where the tide changed. You know, if you, if you come out of that set 6-1, you're up 6-3, 6-1, you're absolutely cruising, but you've just given him a way back in. And I think that is, that's ultimately where the tide changed. And he gave Yannick Sinner a little bit of belief. Yeah, he did. I think right around that point that you mentioned was when Medvedev didn't serve as well. I think he, at that point, had been serving ridiculously well. I think he was up around 85% or so for serves in. And then from that point of the match until I think around the end of the fourth set, his percentage dropped to around 40 to 45%. And that made a huge difference just from how easy he was holding to how much more difficult it got. And then center serve also picked up and just made it way easier for him to kind of conserve energy on his end and make Medvedev work for every hold he got. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a it was an old fashioned tussle. I wouldn't go as far to say it was a classic. What would you say? Where where do you fall on that? Uh, I would definitely lean towards what you said. Not a classic, not because it was a bad match, but just because the players never really played their best at the same time. Like there are some great rallies, great points, but I never felt like there was a back and forth. I felt like the first two sets were all Medvedev, and then sets three and four pretty much all center. I mean, set, set three was kind of competitive up until about four all. And then really from there on, I never felt like Medvedev had a shot at winning the match after center won that third set. Um, I think it was really just as soon as he did that, it was not over, but it was center's match to lose at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And you could kind of tell with his facial expressions and his body language that I think he kind of knew it. Mm-hmm. It, 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 he, he gave off just a very vibe that, you know, one step closer now every time he won a game. Um, it, interesting to watch it with a, you know, a newbie in, at, at that stage and at that level of pressure. Um, but, yeah, a really enjoyable final, a great match, but I, I wouldn't go as far to say it was a classic at all. 
Yeah. And interesting that, you know, no tiebreak sets. I mean, there wasn't even one that was 7-5. That's pretty rare to see, I mean, across a five-set match just in general. Yeah, it was all, all one-break sets except for the, the last. Well, I guess the last set was also a one-break set, so you're right. Just everything was essentially one break except for that second set where Cinder got the extra break back, I think. He won the U.S. Open, which was his second Grand Slam final. He got, took a heavy defeat to Djokovic in the 2021 Australian Open final. And in the 22 Australian Open final, he was two sets up against Nadal and lost. And now he's been two sets up against Yannick Sinner and lost. Do you think that he has a problem with with that? Because it's rare. Not many people lose from going two sets to love up in general mm-hmm. at any stage of a tournament, yet alone two in Grand Slam finals. Yeah, I would say it for him, definitely concerning. I think they were slightly different both times. So like this one here against Sinner felt more like a mileage or a gas tank issue almost where he just was running out of energy into like sets three and four you could kind of tell like he wasn't going all out because he as soon as he got down a break he's like okay the set is almost over but he was able to hold well up until those points and then for the Rafa match that would also hurt where he I mean he was cruising pretty much through two and a half sets and all of a sudden the momentum flipped and I didn't feel like that one was so much of him being out of shape so much as Rafa started playing better and he also just got all the momentum behind him. So it felt like he was going uphill, um, but definitely concerning for any top player to lose one match, two sets, 11, as you said, doing it twice in Grand Slam finals is a pretty big problem. Yeah, I, I think especially for just in terms of winning Grand Slam titles and, and really establishing himself. Mm-hmm. Not just in terms of the current crop, but, you know, in general, um, in the, you know, all-time list of where he stands. You know, he's never been past the quarterfinals at the French. He's okay on grass, you know, one semifinal there. So, I would say, really, realistically, before he has another shot at a Grand Slam title, he has to wait until the U.S. Open yep. of this year. So, it, it is a little bit concerning to me. Um, and where he, he seems to me like he's going to fall into the category of a Murray. Yeah. Where... Very dominant at, you know, a few years in his career uh, when, it, you know, when it was Murray and Djokovic for a couple of years were very head and shoulders above the rest as the best two players in the world. But I can't see how many more grand. It's hard to predict how many more slams he's going to get, really. Yeah, because you've got you've got Alcaraz, who's already gotten grand slams. You have Sinterno, who's gotten his first. Novak still still kicking around. So you can't count him out of any of the next four or not, not next four, next three of this year at a minimum. So it, it'll be tough. And as you said, he's only made finals on hardcore surfaces. So he really has realistically two shots a year making a final. And I mean, at this point, he could have been a three-time Grand Slam champion potentially, which I mean, would tie him with you know, no. Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka. And I mean, of those three guys, you put him like a half tier below Murray and maybe similar tier to Vavrika, if not higher, because he's been in more Grand Slam finals. So yeah, it I really, really hurts the the Medvedev legacy so far at this point. Yeah, I think legacy is the, the best way of describing that because he, he's 27, which, you know, is not old, but he was a late bloomer. So really, he's, you know, he's only been at the top of the rankings for, you know, less than, you know, you look at Sinner, you look at Alcaraz, they're going to be in the top 10 for probably a decade. Medvedev is, you know, has far less time than that. 
to operate in and and get make the most of you know the the draw and his prime prime years of his career. Yeah, especially with the way he plays, it re- requires a lot of uh, physicality and ability to run behind the baseline for hours on end. Which I mean, he did this tournament pretty well, but as he gets older and older, that will be something that he either needs to adjust or consistently work on in order to keep it in top shape. Yeah, no, I, we spoke in a very early podcast about Yannick Sinner, and he did exactly what we thought he needed to do, which was be clinical in the early stages of these draws to to race through, save energy. So when he did need the extra gas, the extra bit of push, which he needed against Medvedev in the final, he had it in abundance. Yeah, I think Medvedev, you know, Medvedev needs to do the same thing. You know, you yeah. can't be dropping sets to, you know, the, the French qualifier in the first round and basically everyone else along the way and expect to still have enough left. I, I'll say that, to his credit, he did get unlucky with some of those late matches. There were some horrendous finishes at, you know, 4 a.m., 6 a.m. local time, which does put people at a disadvantage. But, you know, if you can get off the call in two hours rather than four and a half, then you know, you're going to stand in much better stead. Yeah, it actually this this uh, his run this year reminded me a little bit of Novak's run when Medvedev beat him in their first final, where Novak was going four sets with everybody up until the semifinals, and then Novak went five sets with with Zverev, and then when he got to the final, he was completely out of gas, and Medvedev was just sitting there, almost a hundred percent it seemed ready to go, and he just rolled over him in three sets. So, I'm I'm glad Medvedev was able to win those first two sets and make it competitive. But I, I, for a moment, I was going to kind of be afraid of that happening again. But, I mean, Medvedev was really surprising for that first hour and a half or so. Yeah, it, it makes it, it is what makes these majors so enticing and so exciting as a consumer, is that it's not just, you know, a week-long tournament where you play every day. Basically, the best player in the week wins the tournament. These majors require strategy, match management, and just conservation of resources throughout the week to ensure that you have your best when you need it. And I feel like Novak has been the absolute king of that, especially over the last decade in these tournaments. Nadal was heroic at it throughout the French Open, throughout his career was was just cleaning up. And, you know, when he did need it in the in the final and semifinals, he had it. So I think that is that's the way to go. And, and Sinner looks like he's got a good handle on that already at such a young age. Yeah, this is one of the first majors I think I've seen from him where he's not struggling through any of his opening matches. Like he, he destroyed everybody. I'm, I'm thinking back to the U.S. Open where he had some long matches before he played Zverev in the it's either the fourth round or the quarterfinals. I'm not sure which, but when he played Zverev, he was struggling physically by the third set. And here, he never looks like yet in any match really, except for the the Rublev match a little bit when he was kind of grabbing at his abdomen, but he, he really looks 100% through every set he played. Yeah, do you, uh, do you know why he was grabbing his ab- abdomen? The truth has come out. It's been revealed. Oh, I, I don't remember what they had said about it. What did they say? Oh, he just had gas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, not, not surprising. He, he didn't look like he was too affected by it in the moment or in any uh, previous matches either, so. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it was that's just a, a tip, funny tidbit there. Um, so, so basically, what what I thought was the most interesting part of the of the result from these two weeks is what it does to the rankings. In that, one, it creates a big split between Sinner and Rublev at four and five, 
about mm-hmm. 3,000 points, but it completely reigns in Djokovic and, and Alcaraz. You know, there, there's uh, about 1,500 points between Sinner and Djokovic now. Okay. Uh, so it's, that's going to make, I think that makes all these bigger matches, all these bigger tournaments that much more interesting, that there's going to be a lot more rankings at play. You know, when they play each other, it's, you know, they're playing for specific ranking spots, which I like to see a lot. Um, so I'm excited for that. It, it, it just, you know, reels Djokovic in like a, like a fish on a fishing rod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll make it very intriguing, especially early in the year, I think, where really the only person that's defending a lot of points out of these four guys is Medvedev, I believe, um, because Novak didn't play Indian Wells or Miami. Alcaraz, I don't remember if he played them or not. I know he was coming off an injury last year uh, from the Australian Open, so he didn't play that. Um, I know Medvedev had that 24-25 match win streak. So he's going to be defending a lot of points in the next couple months. And Sinner, I think, has got a pretty good case to make where he can pick up some points. And it, it'll be interesting to see how those four guys do because, you know, Novak's not always going to win majors as we saw this weekend. And most of his points are tied up in really three or four tournaments each year. So it'll be interesting to see how much he plays and how, how much he tries to stay at number one. No, yeah, I think it'd be. It'll cha- I think it changes. Unfortunately for him, I, let, let's sort of transition here to the to the semifinals. Um, it changes the dynamic of his season. You know, less than well, I guess two weeks ago to the day, we were sat here. Well, I, I guess I was sat here saying he's going to win all four majors, the Olympics, and everything under the sun. That completely changes it now because you know the career slam is offered this year, very yeah. likely for in his career. I. I it's tough yeah, to see him coming back in for him. another year. Yeah, I don't see him being better a year from now, either physically or having too much change in his tennis game. And you're only going to have Alcaraz and Sinner and whoever else, maybe Rune, just be better than they were this year. So, yeah, Rune, Rune already back in back in the saddle next week for a 250. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, I, I don't know how that guy does it, just week in week out playing these tournaments. But side note. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with with what you just said. It'll, yeah, I think his scheduling will will likely change. I mean, it, it's he's got, he doesn't have any points to defend over this you know Americans first of the American swings in Indian Wells and Miami. So I I can see him you know even quarterfinal semifinal appearances there are going to increase his tally significantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what what did you make of the Sinner Djokovic? Because that's I would say was probably one of the shocks of the tournament, especially yeah. just how bad he was. Yeah. Like it, you don't say that very often about Djokovic that it was it was dismal. The first yeah. couple of sets were awful. That was that was probably the worst match I've ever seen Djokovic play in in my entire time of watching him play tennis. Uh, I, I I can remember him playing a few sets here and there over the years where he's bad for a set, but then he just kind of you know flips the switch and he's back to his normal like at least average self by the next set. But this one. Even when he won that third set, it never felt like he was playing good tennis. And not to take anything away from Sinner, who I mean, basically played a perfect match to take advantage of Djokovic not playing well, but it was just a, a horrendous display of tennis. I think. Yeah, it was I? I, I want to be careful of not taking too much away from Sinner uh, yeah. because it, it, you know it's a career win, and also the third time in the last four meetings that Sinner's got the best of. The world number one, which is yep. you know very few people can say they've done, but 
yeah, the first two sets were awful. There's not really much we can say about that. It was just error saloon all over the place. But I still think when he won that that third set in a tiebreak, and I think almost any time Djokovic goes to a tiebreak, you're like, okay, Djokovic is going to win the tiebreak. Yeah. Um, you may have the stat on that his percentage of tiebreaks won. It, it's something ridiculous. Um, but when he won that third set, I was like, okay, he's going to win in five, just because you, you've seen it so many times. The but absolute credit to Sinner for staying with him and just weathering the storm and taking him out. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that Novak, when he won the third set, would have his level raise a little bit and just kind of make it, you know, another tight fourth set. Maybe Sinner comes out like 7-5 or 7-6 or something, but drop his, I think he dropped his serve in the first or second service game of that set. It just made it tough for him to come back because he was returning so poorly and Sinner was serving so well. Yeah, no, a, a great performance from from one player, a really bad performance from the other. Um, I, I I think it's crazy. A lot of tennis consumers, specifically older generations, are like, he's done. You know, he's never. You know, he's done now. He's he's gone. And I don't. To me, that just seems crazy. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I I don't know how in two weeks you can go from he's going to do the career slam, he's going to win the Olympics, and then you know you take one loss in the semifinals of a Grand Slam. And your career's over. It, does, it just doesn't happen like that to me. You don't just fall off a cliff. Who, who was that guy? Uh, the football guy, the pundit, uh, Colin Colin Coward. Oh yeah, Colin Coward. Yeah, you know when he was the whole Tom Brady thing every year. It's like he's gonna fall off a cliff. This is he's done this year, and he'd come back and win a Super Bowl. I, I just doesn't doesn't work like that. You don't just forget how to play tennis. You don't just get bad all of a sudden. Yeah. He's still gonna be around. I, I I just don't see it. I just don't see it being like that. Yeah, I don't, I would, I mean, it's, as we saw, it was one of his worst matches at a minimum in recent years. And I mean, this is really his only bad match in the last two or three years. So you can't really take one match as being the exception to every other match we've seen him play basically over the last five, 10, 15 years. So I think maybe a little bit of the, the momentum that he normally carries early in the year will be gone, but I don't think it's going to affect his level too much because we, we saw him playing good tennis earlier in the tournament. Like there was a couple, you know, slow starts or rough patches where he might have dropped a set here and there, but it was never a bad, like full three out of four, three out of five sets of poor tennis, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it. the only thing that it's hard to take a positive from is that he didn't, other than Taylor Fritz, he didn't really beat anyone. I'm going to yeah. use the word good in you know apostrophe not apostrophe yeah, yeah he, didn't, he, he didn't because, take out a top top eight opponent or top i guess taylor fritz is up to around nine in the rankings again but he didn't really take out anybody that i would have there's no one you write home about there's no yeah. one that was an impress that was an impressive scalp right um but you know that he's not worried about that at all and you never know i was thinking i was like wow what you know, one of his wife had a go at him the night before or something and just completely threw off his game. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Some, some crazy thing like that. Like there, there's got to be some, some explanation for, for those first two sets, how bad they were. There, there, must, there must be some, some rationale behind it. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I think, I think at some point during that second set, they were showing the winners and unforced errors differences. And I think Novak had over 40 unforced errors in the second set at that point. Which I mean is higher than he has in a lot of matches sometimes. So 
Yeah, it, it was. But it was. It was kind of strange to watch. It was actually hitting the ball crisp and nice. It was just. Yeah. It just broke down. You know, if you just if you took away the the final shot that he missed, you'd be like, oh, he's playing good. Yeah, you hit like three or four good shots, and then it would just look like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna not hit the right shot. I'm just gonna kind of slap at it, and oh, whoop, I hit it in the bottom of the net. Darn, I'm just gonna do it again on the next point. Yeah. So so um so moving on to the second semifinal, which which I thought was was actually a better match, mm-hmm. uh, was the Zverev Medvedev match, which you know Medvedev came back to win, which he had done all tournament against Zverev. I, I thought that I. I I thought it was that almost was was a classic. Yeah, it, I thought that was a really good match. It actually reminded me a lot of the the final with Medvedev and Sinner, just in reverse, where Medvedev was the one dictating and dominating the first two sets, and then you know Sinner came back and won. And the same thing pretty much happened in that semifinal, where Zverev was the better player for the first two sets or so, and then just started to look like he got a little slower by maybe a half step and. Medvedev just took that opportunity to, you know, jump right back onto him. Yeah, you, when that in the fourth set, and it was the five-all point, and he and Medvedev hit that, you know, off the frame return, and Zverev oh, just almost yeah. stood and looked at it for a couple of seconds, and then ran, and he yeah. didn't get to it. And I know, I, I in my mind, I was like, that's it's happened so many times to to me to everyone who plays tennis, and you pretty much know from that point it was over. You just know that sinking feeling. You're like, yeah, it's it's if he can close this set out, it, it's it's basically gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good, a good match. Just um, just an just a, a a weird one. How things turn around. You know, comes back from two sets down, then chokes two sets to up the, the next match. Just crazy tennis scoring. Yeah, I know. Just very very interesting runs, but both by Medvedev and Zverev, who had multiple fifth set. 10-point tiebreakers before that, and then if he had gone through that match in straight sets, I think he has a, a decent shot against Sinner, who he just beat at the U.S. Open, so yeah. What, what, what do you make of Medvedev's, um, you know, sleight-of-hand tactics to get the advantage? You know, all the all the little stuff he does, you know, I cite Monte Carlo when he kicked the net post out to waste mm-hmm. some time. He does all things like that. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that? I think... Some of it is okay, but if you, I mean, I don't, as a as a person just watching the tennis, I think it's fun to see because it makes the matches more interesting. Like, I, I remember in the Zverev-Medvedev match, there was one point where Medvedev missed a shot by, like, an inch, and he wanted to see the replay, even though, I mean, it's Hawkeye call, so it doesn't matter if he sees the replay or not. And then the machine wasn't working right away on the replay, so they stood there for, like, 30 seconds in between points, and Medvedev just was kind of smiling while Zverev was complaining to the referee. Just little things like that, where he, where he's trying to get into his opponent's head, and it's within the rules, but it's still like slight gamesmanship. I think it's fun to see, but I don't think it's in the the best spirit of the game. Yeah, uh, I, see, I, I'm a big fan of that stuff, and and you know that from college. So I guess I'm now feeling finding out these harbored feelings of resentment you have towards me, but. Um, <laughs> uh, I, is it on the referee to to squash that? I think so. I think like that's your on, job. That's your yeah. job is to be then and a referee. A of, like a lot of these referees don't have too much to do when they have the the electronic line calling, so that it would be even more imperative for them to actually make sure the flow of the match is being followed correctly. Um, and I think if it's minor stuff like 
when he was asking for the review, it's something that's allowed. So it's not it's not bad. It's more of when you maybe like I think at one point in that Monte Carlo match, he like ran off the court in between changeovers because I guess he had to go to the bathroom and he came back in time. But it was just you know random stuff where it's not bad, but it's slightly confusing to the the other person, I think, is totally fine as somebody that's not playing against that. But when it's happening to you, it can be pretty annoying, I think. Yeah, no, he yeah, he, he he used every second of the time, and then he came back onto the court, but then, like, took a drink, changed his racket, which, you know, so he was over the time, but, you know, he's there, so it's, it puts the referee in a tough spot to, to call a violation on him. But I, I you think you need that. As, from a consumer standpoint, for tennis, you, you do need guys like that. Yeah, I would rather see a lot of players doing stuff like that versus all of them just be robots and be perfect uh, little tennis players. Yeah, I, I will say, though, based on, you know, experience with watching the game and, and the best guys, the best guys don't do that. Yeah, they don't They don't need to do it to win. They can just win by playing their best tennis. Yeah, I, I guess McEnroe is the, is the ex- exception to that yeah. statement. But, you know, in terms of also in terms of, Greatest of all time, McEnroe is probably nowhere close to that. So the very best guys just just don't get involved with that stuff. Yeah, I would say I would I would like to see a lot more of the Medvedev style gamesmanship than the Nick Kyrgios style gamesmanship if they're if they can be compared. Yeah, no, I I, I think that a lot of what the difference is that Kyrgios doesn't always is not within the rules. Yeah. Um. Medvedev is within the rules. It's just you know he pushes the line, but and also Medvedev is not hard to watch when he does that. Like I, I watch Kyrgios sometimes. Well, I used to when he was playing, and you're like, this is a little hard to watch. You know, yeah. when, when you're breaking five rackets and and things like that, you're like, yeah, this is. You know, and also you think about this six year olds watching that. So as much as it's it's fun, it's you know good to watch something a little different you know, that you are teaching that six-year-old that that's acceptable behavior. Mm-hmm. But also, I probably a little bit hypocritical of me to be sta- saying that. <laughs> maybe, maybe a tiny bit. <laughs> um, I, I wonder, one, one more thing I wanted to touch on, on, on the, just to guess the generic state of, of tennis. You know, I think since, Ra- well, we, we can call Rafa retired. He's doing his farewell tour this year. Federer retired. I, their rivalry was probably the best in tennis possibly sport that's you know it's going to be a hotly debated topic but one of the best just because it's like chalk and cheese you know Federer had the style and you know Rafa had the the razzle dazzle the pizzazz but but you know both at their best you know were just incredible athletes incredible competitors but I think we're seeing that now between it's going to be become Sinner as almost the you know the next Federer almost technically almost perfect technically sound and even the way he reacted to winning was so classy you know most people you know they're they're screaming they're falling on the floor you know with all the emotion but you know he just it was like gratitude you know couldn't even believe it he, you know mild celebration just goes and thanks his team that was federer-esque i thought and, but then you have the razzle dazzle with with alcaraz that's you know the the talent the shot making that that was nadal so I think that's we're going to see the birth of a of a new rivalry for years to come this year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think for me, I've always seen Yannick Sinner as uh, more of like a Federer attitude with Djokovic's game, and I see Carlos Alcaraz with 
uh, Federer's game, but the Rafa attitude, where they're kind of a mix of the of those three players, but not in the same kind of mindset. Because you've got Alcaraz with drop shots, big forehands, you know, coming to the net a lot, and you have Yannick Sinner who plays a lot more like a young Novak Djokovic, staying way behind the baseline, hitting big tennis, but not really coming to the net unless he needs to clean up at the net. And older Djokovic does that stuff a lot more, but he, he reminds me a lot of young Djokovic and similar with Carlos Alcaraz. It'll be interesting to see how that develops over this year. And if, if uh, what's his name, Holger Rune can kind of maybe make his way back in there. He's still kind of, I think, a step behind them now. With Yeah, I'd say more I would, steps. Yeah, I would have said that Yannick Sinner and him were maybe a half set apart going into last year, but ever since Sinner kind of stepped up his game post-US Open, I would put him and Alcaraz almost on the same level, and Rune has fallen behind a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and also, we're, you know, we're never going to get carbon copies of, of Roger and, and Rafa, but I think it will be the, especially when Djokovic, you know, does hang up his wreckage, that's going to be the rivalry. Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that. But, yeah, in terms of Rune being a couple of steps behind, I'd I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I would almost, I'd say, you know, Sinner's got one slam now. Alcaraz has two. Yeah, no, Alcaraz has been number one in the world. Rankings slightly better off over the last year and a half than Sinner. But, you know, they're in the same bracket. You know, what, you know, in terms of, you know, what, Djokovic has got 24 slams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, what, two on one is, is pretty insignificant to that. You know, they're in the same bracket for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, when I and Alcaraz walking. has a big Sinner problem. He, he struggles does, yeah. playing against Sinner. They kind of have a a little bit like a Rafa Fed type matchup where Sinner just has the power to hit through him. And Alcaraz, if he's not on with his own, you know, power game coming to the net, drop shots, it makes it tough because he he breaks down a tiny bit in those longer rallies against him. Yeah. No, I think that was the beauty of the Federer and Nadal rivalry was that it was every match was different. And it was, you could never really predict what was going to happen. You always knew that Nadal had the strategy of going high to the single-handed backhand, but every court impacted it and how they both played on the day impacted it to such an extent where, you know, one of them could win three and four, like Federer did in um, Indian Wells, I believe, that one time. And it was just a, you know, a three and four, but that didn't do the match justice. You know, it was just a, a whitewash. But then you get the five-set classics. And I, I like that. There's so much that can that can happen in a match between the same two players. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think we will announce it that, that Jacob, you, you, you won the first Grand Slam of the year with the predictions. Yep. I, uh, yep. as soon as, gotta, as soon as Medvedev won that match, I was like, yeah, there goes my hopes. Yep. Yeah. We were, we were within a few points of each other kind of up until the, the quarterfinals, semifinals and, since we both picked Novak to win, it came down to the Zverev-Medvedev matchup, and Medvedev took the win and kind of pushed me over the edge to, to take home the first title. Yeah, it's not over, though. It's a, it's a long year. Um, That's true. Three more yeah, games. Yeah, it was fun. I, I think I lost to a worthy winner. And I was I, I was actually pretty impressed with that I got so close, to be honest, because last year, and we did the, the, the four of us, right? Uh, Zach and Chip were in there as well. You, you were a runaway winner. Yeah, I got a little lucky last year, I think. And this one, I didn't do as well in the early rounds as I did later. Like, I think I got seven out of the eight quarterfinalists right. And then I got all four of the semifinalists correct. I just got 
Novak losing in the semis wrong. So I kind of messed my bracket up a little bit, but otherwise I kind of had a pretty good hot streak going there. Yeah, no, I, uh, well played, well played. Before we end, I want to do a, a quick segment on just, you know, you know, we've recapped the Australian Open. Everyone had their individual performances. Just to highlight a few players that, you know, as we advance through the, the tournaments here, there isn't really too much significant until Indian Wells and Miami. And, you know, the content is going to change to, you know, focus on, on the college scene, some more, you know, just general chit-chat of tennis rather than, you know, going over match results. And we'll see that reflected in Wednesday's episode. But before we sort of move away from that, you know, which players between now and Indian Wells, Miami, and then we go into the European clay court swing, pick a few players that you think are under the largest or most extensive pressure. Uh, well, to start off, it's somebody that we I feel like we've mentioned in this category every single time, but uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, you know, losing in the fourth round to Taylor Fritz, I think he lost around a thousand points or so from not making it back to the final, so that that dumps him down to around 10 or so in the ranking, but also within striking distance of pretty much the next four or five guys below him. So I think he's in a difficult position going forward because he does have a lot of points to defend on the clay court swing. Um, And if he doesn't really get it together, he could potentially drop out of the top 15 players or so. One, he's not, I wouldn't say as an extensive pressure at this stage in his career, because, you know, he's kind of, he's done it. He's his legacy is, enshrined in stone but in terms of where his career goes i think andy murray is under a bit of pressure mm-hmm. he did have an underwhelming performance with that first round defeat he, he's the fifth seed in montpellier this coming week which is a surprising i didn't think he would get back in the saddle that soon mm-hmm. which to me demonstrates how how enthusiastic he is about continuing his career and getting the, the ranking points to stay relevant but mm-hmm. i think he he is under a bit of pressure to perform and, and get those points before it, you know, it, it starts the slippery slide. Because once it starts, it's very difficult to stop. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, another guy, I guess this one's like he's under pressure, but it's more so from being successful would be Andre Rublev. Um, I believe he is the first player ever to lose 10 times in a yeah. Sam quarterfinal. I think that's something that He's he's been really really good outside of the majors, pretty much where he's got a Masters 1000 now. He goes deep in a lot of tournaments, but he just doesn't have enough to kind of get to that next level. I believe he's five in the world still, but Zverev is only a couple points behind him. So I think he's going to be around that six or seven spot for a lot of this year, and it really comes down to making runs in the majors. So it'll be interesting to see how he's playing. Once we get to the French Open and Wimbledon, if he can actually make a deep run into a semifinal, like he consistently makes quarterfinal runs. But I think if he wants to kind of take that next jump, it's going to require him to be the top four player to do it. Absolutely. Uh, he, he's in he's in my under pressure, but in a different kind of way. I think we're seeing a, a big split in terms of the rankings. You know, there's a clear big four now. Mm-hmm. Rublev's at the top of that. But I also think Zverev and Rune, I would count as in that next group i think they're under pressure to you know not get cut adrift um you know they need to catch back up and not let that establish as a big four because we saw that when it was rafa federer murray and Djokovic. you know the next guy you know david ferrer was just cut adrift for so many years and you don't really get a look in it, a lot of these tournaments when that does happen 
So, so those three need to close the gap. And then beyond that, you know, then you've got the next group, Herkatch, Fritch, Tsitsipas, Dimonor, Rudin, Dimitrov. They need to find a way to cement themselves in the top 10 because then, you know, it starts dropping off a little bit after that in terms of consistency. Yeah, The performers underneath that. So I think I think all those, you know, basically top 20, between 4 and 20 is under pressure to, you know, establish themselves before they get kind of drifted, especially if they want to actually compete for these majors and these Masters 1000s. Mm-hmm. 250s and 500s don't, don't cut the butter. Yeah, that's true. If you're not uh, if you're not putting up five hundred to thousand points in these big tournaments, you're not a you're not a top ten player a lot of the times. Yeah. No. I. I'd, uh, I. What did you did you watch the, the 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 final note on for this pod? Did you did you get to watch the doubles final? I did not. I I did see that Rohan Bapana took home his first ever men's doubles Grand Slam championship. It was great. I I figured he'd won more. I I was I couldn't believe that stat. I was like, I, yeah. how has he not won a Grand Slam? His only his only Grand Slam before that, I believe, was in mixed doubles. So I was also surprised. He's been around for so long, and he's always been, I feel like, in the top 10, top 20 of doubles. I felt like he would have had multiple Grand Slams at this point, but I, I don't think he does. No, he doesn't. Um, I, I Also, I mentioned it last week the, on Wednesday, the age of the average doubles player. Rinky yep. Hichikato is the only player under the age of 30 in the top 25. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know um, that. I uh, I signed up for the for this was it Spring League, um, oh, yeah. and you, you were on different teams, Jacob. So um, oh. I I'm, I look forward. Okay, you can tell the story about how I bailed on the match last year, but yeah. um, I, I I we're gonna play this young. I'm gonna speak to the captain and make it happen. I will uh I will see. Currently, my team has only four guys signed up, and we need to have five. And I. I believe we have two or three guys that got rated as five fives and are trying to appeal themselves down to the five zero level. So we'll see if they uh, if they can do that or not. There's only four teams. Yeah, um, I saw that. I'm. I, I wonder if there's going to be more that sign up or if there's just going to be no uh, none of those like two really good teams that were like the Blakeney and Old Providence teams. Yeah, but there was eight last year, so quite a drop off. But there was you know like Haywood's team wasn't in it. Um, yes. I also didn't see the 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 Matthews team. Uh, what's right. it? Christian Hess's team. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw him on a different team, but I don't remember which one it was. Like some of those guys are on different teams now, but I don't know if that means there's just not going to be as many teams, or if they're, you know, dividing it up differently this year. Yeah. No. I. Uh, if we play, you better show up to the match this year. I'll don't worry. I'll, I'll be there unless you know we got a team meeting. I might have to you know go to that instead. Yeah, what was the story last year? You came, you had some absolute nonsense that I didn't show up. Oh yeah, okay. So I think what <laughs> happened was we had been texting the week before, and we both determined that we were going to be playing. You know, our teams are playing each other. So I, you know, specifically asked my team captain if he could put me in the singles lineup this week, or make sure I was in the singles lineup so that we could play. And you told me you were in the singles lineup, so I know I was looking forward to it. Prepped all week. I, I got hydrated a couple days early, you know, just to make sure. In case it was a sweaty one. Uh, so then I drove out to the match and about, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm just kind of sitting there waiting. Nobody's there. I'm checking with, you know, their captains like, yeah, yeah, the guy's on his way. He'll be here soon. I wait another 10, 15 minutes. And then some random guy walks up and asks about if my name's Jacob and he tells me I'm playing and, and it wasn't you. So I was a little surprised uh, and also a little disappointed. Uh, I didn't know the guy. He's not a bad player, but I was looking forward to playing you. And apparently 
I believe you had a business trip that same day that uh, you had forgotten to mention the week before. So you were actually out of the state that day um, while I was busy grinding at 8 p.m. at night against your substitute. I think it was a site visit, had to visit project. Yep. Yeah, um, it ended up being a, a 6-1-6-0 victory. That one game I lost was, you know, just out of disappointment that we weren't playing each other. I believe the guy hit three aces in the first game, so. Nice. A bold, move, a bold move, though, to ask for the matchup, given our head-to-head. Very that, bold. Uh, that is true. I, I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I, I hadn't lost yet that year. Um, I don't remember. I don't. I think I lost one match that season, so I, I was feeling pretty good about myself, but. Maybe next this coming year we'll have to we'll have to run it up again. Yeah, well, uh, I'll leave you with this. You're gonna like this. So I was uh, my CFO comes over and he's a he's a listener of the podcast. Um, ah. So we, we're getting some reach. But he comes over. And he said, you know, we were t- he's talking about the podcast and he was joking and he says he says yeah, the other guy he sounds way more intelligent than you, George. <laughs> it's just so, you know my my high tennis iq I, I just make myself sound smart and then obviously it makes me a great tennis player somehow yeah they um so yeah we if jacob is the the most intelligent i'd like to see uh what people who people think it was the better player that's the that's the, yes. that's the, home, well, the homework you know, for, the homework for the next we, we don't have any you know, official head-to-heads and official tournaments but you know i, I think that heavily favors you by about you know like nine to one maybe something like that well, you're not meant to give them the answer. I wanted to see what who they thought was the best from listening. Oh, that's true. Well, yeah, I guess if they uh, want to write that in before I mention that, they can always do that. Um, so I, before we end, just uh, I've said that about three times now, but um, just a, a quick sort of rundown of what we're going to be going over the next couple of weeks. It's going to transition more towards, you know, fun tennis topics outside of just match results. Um, and then have some guest, uh, guest stars where we'll, you know, have enticing conversations about, the world outside of just pro tennis, you know, different coaching routes, uh, look ahead for the for the college season. Uh, and what really drive, you know, tennis is more than just the pros, you know, it's all levels of the game. So we'll dive more into that, um, but still bring you engaging content. And, um, you know, we thank you so much for your support. Um, we wouldn't have the podcast without you. Thanks for listening. My name's George Buffett. And I'm Jake Vandress. And remember, always go around the net post.